Soul care matters because you matter to Christ. What affects your soul affects your body, and you are only as helpful to others as you are healthy. Welcome to the Soul Care Matters podcast. You're listening to the Soul Care Matters podcast. We're excited about season four of the Soul Care Matters podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Ryan Berg, and here with me today is Jeff Ballard. The one and only Jeff Ballard. We're excited about this season because it's going to be a little bit different than the seasons that we've done in seasons one, two, and three. Seasons one, two, and three were a lot of touch on a topic here and there. And in season four, we're going to spend some more time on a couple of topics and do a few different series on these topics. Jeff, tell us what we're going to talk about this season. Yeah, we've got five, I'd call them mini series of episodes. Here are the topics we're going to cover. We're going to cover anxiety. Anxiety, which we're going to launch into today. We're also going to cover friendship, trauma, sexual brokenness, and holistic care of self. So each of those short series will be three to four episodes. So we'll be able to go in a little bit more depth than we have in seasons past. And also, I think it's exciting that I think all of these topics are things that listeners have talked about wanting to hear more about or wanting to hear about for the first time. Jeff, of these topics, which is one that catches your eye as something you're particularly excited about? Yeah, that's a tough question because I'm really looking forward to all of these, but probably can I pick two? Is that cheap? Sure. I think our series on trauma, I'm really looking forward to. So obviously, it's a very hot topic in the counseling world and in our culture at large. And I'm really looking forward to having discussions around that, having our invited special guest on the show, who I know is going to do a great job. So that'll be the first one. And then I think the other one would be just friendship. Yeah, It's not maybe a counseling topic per se, but such an important um, issue to talk about. Yeah, I think about the struggles that so many people are having with loneliness and isolation. And that's something that uh, if we as Christians can do well, I think we have a lot to offer the people in our communities, as well as helping the people within our own churches to develop deeper friendships for their own sake. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited about all of the topics. Friendship is also one that jumps out to me. I think, what was this, a month ago? Maybe not even a month ago. I don't know if you caught this in the news, but the Surgeon General declared loneliness an epidemic in America. And was talking about how it's leading to increase in different health problems. And so I'm excited to talk about that. Uh, I'm pretty excited about this series on anxiety. It's by far the number one thing that people keep coming in with questions about to the counseling office. And we've started some group work on anxiety here at the church, too. So I'm excited about that. And then even... Uh, holistic care of self. I, I think that's more common now than maybe in years past, especially when I was growing up. But I still think it's something that people don't give an adequate amount of thought to. What does it look like to care for yourself holistically in all of the areas in which God created you to exist? Uh, isn't it wild that we're on season four? That is wild. I never thought I would be a podcaster to begin with. <laughs> uh, but to be how many episodes have we done? Do you know offhand? Oh, man. <laughs> Close to 60, I think. Close yeah. to 60 episodes. Yeah, where we've we've actually trimmed down a little bit how many per season just for the sake of production. Yeah. But yeah, we're going to at the end of this will be 75 plus. Yeah. And yeah, it's pretty well. I definitely thought I would be a podcaster at some <laughs> point. 
but I'm happy to do this with you, my friend. So let's talk. Let's launch into our first series. So right off the bat, we're going to talk about what is arguably the most common topic that's coming up in counseling office today, at least for me in my practice, it is. And that's the topic of anxiety. I thought it might be helpful if we just start with some statistics to back some of this up. So I've got a bunch here. I'm going to fly through these, but I know some of our listeners love statistics. It's been my experience whenever presenting on a given topic that you either love statistics or you love stories. We're going to have both of those present in this, but I'm going to start with statistics. So I pulled a bunch of stats from Pew Research, from Barna, from the ADECO group, from the McKinsey group, all of these somewhat well-known statistical think tanks, if you will. And so I've got both like statistics within the church and statistics just at large in our country. So this research was done in 2022, and it said anywhere from four in 10 to 6 in 10 of U.S. adults that were surveyed for this experienced high levels of psychological distress or anxiety that they have noted with some kind of healthcare professional since the year 2020. So it's not necessarily just talking about 2022, but 2020 wasn't that long ago. At time of recording, we're looking at three years ago, and that's obviously when COVID hit and there's some significant things that happened there. 37% of workplace respondents, so these were surveys that were specifically given to organizations to hand out to their staff, they reported experiencing anxiety in the past year, in the past 12 months. A McKinsey survey said, this is a wild stat, 85%, 85% of top level leaders believe fear and anxiety hold back innovation efforts in their organizations. And furthermore, all the way up to 90% of companies aren't doing anything about it because they don't know what to do. It's just paralysis of the analysis, as we say a lot on here. There's a lot of analysis revealing these things, but they don't know what to do. 67% of leaders in these organizations cited improvement in productivity when offering mental health support to their employees. 79% of employees claimed that they are more likely to stay at a company or organization that provides high quality mental health resources. And 67% of those same, 67% of those same respondents to the survey stated that they believe that mental being should be something that organizational leaders partner in with their employees. So let's start there for a second, Jeff. What do you think about the idea of basically employers partnering with employees in caring for one's mental health? Yeah, yeah. The first thing that strikes me is, wow, just such a difference in mindset between that and, you know, say 15, 20, 25 years ago. Yeah. I, I don't think those things were probably even being talked about in the context of the workplace. Yeah. And there's probably positives and negatives about that. But on the whole, I think that's a positive. Mm-hmm. As I think I'm somebody who in the workplace, I have people who work under me. And as I think of what it looks like to be a good manager, a good boss, I want to care for people in a holistic yeah. way because I think they'll not just because of this, but I think they'll do better work if they're healthy in all aspects of their life, including their their mental health. So I think it makes sense just from a kind of a practical standpoint for employers to be thinking about that kind of thing. But then as Christians, obviously, we, we want to care for people simply because that's the right thing to do. That's what God would want us to do. Yeah. And again, that, that includes all aspects of our lives. I don't want to think about the people who work under me just as people to get as much productivity out of and, and to just get the work from their, their people yeah. created in the image of God and we need to care for them. 
Yeah, I, I think you're right on with that. I love the idea of the partnership between employers and employees. I had a job once. This is not my current job for anyone listening. I had a job once where I was told on a particularly hard day for me because of something that happened outside of work that I needed to check that at the door because when I was at work, I was on their time and they ex- had certain expectations of me. I stayed at that job about two weeks longer and then I moved on to a new job because I think one of the one of the things that is the most harmful in the workplace is this assumption that when you're at work, you're one version of yourself. And when you're outside of work, you get to be all the other versions. There's yeah. That's not how human beings work. You carry through the office door the same things that you had when you were in the parking lot or when you were having breakfast that morning. It doesn't mean it should necessarily keep you from fulfilling your role and doing your job. But one of the other statistics that I have on here is a staggering number that says 60 of employees are more likely to stay at an organization where they feel like someone in authority cares about their mental well-being. I'll never forget being told, you need to check that at the door because we don't deal with that here. And being like, then I don't think I want to be here. Like, I don't. On one level. I wish that were possible for you. Yeah, right. So so do I. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Um, Yeah. But on another level, it. It just that doesn't express care for for a person in their their whole life. And it's not just outside the church, so to speak. So some of these other stats I'll fly through really quickly. This was a survey done at the end of 21 into 22. But they do this survey every year. This is from the Barna Group that's talking about pastors and church leaders. And so the they they basically ask all of them to rate themselves on a scale of healthy, average to unhealthy. So in 20 to 20. One, 24% of pastors and church leaders rated themselves as unhealthy. This is all in the areas of mental and emotional health. 41% rated themselves as average, which was the biggest jump that they had ever seen year over year from 20. 2020 to 2021. So the average, the middle category, which we pastors are prone to always put ourselves into because we don't want to pick that we're really good or we're really bad, jumped to 41%. When talking about specifically their well-being in emotional health, a staggering 41% of pastors and church leaders rated themselves as average or poor in their emotional health from 20 to 21. So these things are present inside the church too, in major ways. We've definitely seen anxiety pop up here at College Park, and we have taken steps to try to care really well for our folks and address that need. Anxiety is just a major problem. So we wanted to spend some time talking about that here today and in the following following two episodes. Yeah. So let's start post stats, at least with a definition. So Ryan, how would you define anxiety? And are there any ways you would want to distinguish that between things like stress or worry or fear? Yeah, great question. This is a question that I get often. So I'm going to define it in those two ways. I'm going to talk about the four types of anxiety real briefly. And then I'll talk about what the difference is between anxiety and what we would call stress or worry. So the four types of anxiety, I think it's really important to recognize that there are multiple types. So the first one is probably the most self-explanatory, and that would be grief anxiety. And this is simply anxiety caused by grief over loss. And I want to be clear that loss isn't just loss of life someone that you love or someone that you know. I use this example on here a lot, but I think as people age, they lose a certain lifestyle. 
as health deteriorates and you get older and you simply can't do some of the things that you used to be able to do. Just this past week, I was on a cruise. For our listeners who know how much I love a cruise, I was in the Caribbean just last week and I am mourning that. No, I, when we were on the private island, I chose to run the 5K that they have on the island because if you run the 5K, you get to see parts of the island you don't get to see otherwise. And I thought, oh, this will be no big deal. What's three miles? That's no big deal. It was hard, Jeff. I struggled. I used to be able to just pick up and do stuff like that. Like it was no big deal. I I was sore for four days after that. So even something like that, grief can come from the loss of a lifestyle. And that leads to a lot of people experiencing anxiety as a result of grief over loss. The second kind of anxiety would be trauma anxiety. Again, somewhat self-explanatory, but this is anxiety based on survived traumas. A good example of this would be, this is a true story of someone that I met with years ago, that they were in a pretty horrific car accident, but they were mostly okay, but the other people in the car weren't. And so they really had anxiety anytime they were in a car with other people, but didn't have it so much when they were in the car by themselves. So they were just, they would get really anxious based on the trauma of seeing what happened to those other people. The third type of anxiety would be acute anxiety. This is anxiety based on real life or death dangers, often due to survived experiences. So you see a lot of acute anxiety in military veterans and things like that, that they've actually experienced something hard. People who survived, let's say something like 9-11 or Katrina or natural disasters, things like that. Acute anxiety is also a really interesting one because it can be really short-lived. One of the best examples, Jeff, I know you've heard me use this before, but you're driving down the road and somebody pulls out in front of you and cuts you off and you almost have a car accident. And so what's happening immediately after that, when that happens, your heart's beating a a mile a minute, you're like white knuckling the steering wheel, and you're like super anxious about what's going to happen because it feels like there's a real threat there. There's a real danger. But then you go like a mile down the road and you're like, okay, I'm okay. I didn't actually crash. I think we're going to be fine. I think, And then your anxiety starts to dissipate. But that's acute anxiety. It's based on something that actually really happened. And then the fourth and by far the most common type of anxiety is what's known as chronic anxiety. This is anxiety that's based on a couple of different things, assumptions, perceived threats, expectations, false beliefs, and false needs. And we get this from our good friend, Steve Cuss, who, spoiler alert, will be on the podcast in a future episode. But Steve tells us that chronic anxiety is the most pervasive because it's based on assumptions, perceived threats, expectations, false beliefs, and false needs. I'll give you an example from my life. I get anxiety in financial matters sometimes because I have in my head this false belief that I am responsible, let's say, for example, for providing a certain level of lifestyle for my family. And so if the finances don't allow me to get my kids the newest and greatest whatever, sometimes that can cause anxiety for me. But that's chronic anxiety based on a false belief. But there's literally thousands and thousands of ways this can play out in a person's life. Yeah. So it strikes me uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here. I'm just, um, just processing as you're talking. It seems like the first three kinds of anxiety are more connected with external circumstances or things that happen to us. Chronic anxiety is more internal. Like it, there's certainly situations we're in, but the, anxiety springs from internal things like beliefs and values and interpretations, those kinds of things. Is that right? 
Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment with one caveat is one of the things that chronic anxiety is based on is perceived threats. And for some people, perception equals reality. That's one of the ways in which you learn how to step away from or overcome anxiety is be able to understand when you have a perception versus something that really happened. But I think it, some people would hear what you just said, Jeff, and probably push on that a little bit because they say this is real when in actuality that might that might be a perception. So yeah. sometimes that's the first step is helping someone dig through the perception versus reality yeah. dis dissonance. That's where the power of it comes from is it right. doesn't feel like just our perception. It feels so real. I, we, otherwise, we probably wouldn't feel that anxiety. Right. Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, that's good. Okay. So let's talk about, so you, you just walked us through four different kinds. Let's talk about the significance of that. Like what, why is this topic of anxiety important? Obviously, a lot of people struggle with it. So it's culturally, it's an important topic right now. But practically, what's the significance in our lives? What does anxiety do that makes it something we need to deal with? Yeah, so anxiety does a few different things. I'll talk about it in more depth in a minute. But the main thing that anxiety does in my estimation and in my experience is it distracts us from the fact that we're in God's presence. It convinces us that there are other things that kind of push God out of the picture. One of the things that I do that I've begun doing in every session, whether it's on Zoom or in person or a group session, is we actually light a candle to remind us that in that moment, in that place, we are actually in God's presence. Sometimes we actually say the phrase, we are by faith acknowledging stepping into God's presence, which isn't entirely accurate because we're already in God's presence. But what we're actually acknowledging is that anxiety and other things in our lives are attempting to distract us from the fact that God is already there. So we want to have a focused time where we're stepping into God's presence, where he is closer to us than the light from the candle, and that he is wrapping his arms around us as a loving father. So that's the main thing that anxiety does. That's its main play. It actually distracts us from God's presence. The other things that it does are it causes stress and worry or contributes to stress and worry. So let me talk real briefly about the difference between anxiety and stress and worry. I get this question a lot. What's the difference between being anxious and what's the difference between being stressed or worrying about something? There's a couple of ways to think about this. So stress and worry tend to be short term and in response to a recognized threat. Again, go back to the illustration of almost having a car accident. You can get really stressed about getting where you need to go because you almost just crashed your car. And then you start worrying about, am I staying far enough away from the car in front of me? Am I aware enough of my surroundings? Am I going the least accident-prone route to wherever it is that I'm going? Stress and worry are generally a response, like you mentioned earlier, Jeff, they're generally a response to an external cause, something moving against or in the way of where you're going. The stress and worry usually dissipate once the situation resolves itself. And sometimes stress can be positive. A good portion of my life has been spent on the stage. I've been in different public speaking roles and different productions and things like that. And going in for an audition, sometimes I can be really stressed, but it actually focuses me and helps me deliver a better performance than I think I would have if I was all loosey-goosey going into that. At times, stress can be positive. Anxiety, on the other hand, if stress and worry is short-term, anxiety tends to linger 
Stress and worry are usually in response to a recognized threat, whereas anxiety may not have an easily identifiable trigger. Anxiety sometimes just persists and you're not totally sure where it's coming from or what's keeping it around. Anxiety is very frequently caused by internal sources, and we'll talk about some of those in a future episode when we give some practical tools for how to manage anxiety. Anxiety usually involves persistent feelings of uneasiness or maybe dread that don't go away no matter what you try to do. Anxiety frequently interferes with normal function. You can be so anxious that you struggle to sleep or maybe you don't eat or you're not focused at work or something like that. I hear from students all the time that anxiety causes them to perform poorly on tests, for example, because they're so anxious about doing well that they actually do poorly because they're so anxious. And anxiety feels constant, whereas stress and worry tends to dissipate after the external source dissipates. But anxiety feels constant. Now, one thing to keep in mind, the reason why these terms stress, worry and anxiety are used so interchangeably is because all three share a couple of physiological traits. One being they affect your body and they give you a spinning mind. You obsess, you obsessively think about things. You rehearse conversations in your head before they happen or after they happen. You could have tightness in your body that could be in your jaw, in your neck, in your chest, in your gut. It can be anywhere, but those are probably the most common. You can have what I will just simply, for the sake of appropriateness, call gastrointestinal issues. It affects you in your gut and it causes all kinds of stuff to happen there. And then it can also bring about a racing heart, palpitations, feeling like you're moving 100 miles an hour and that your heart is going to beat out of your chest. Stress, worry, and anxiety can all bring about those physiological symptoms, which is one of the reasons why they tend to be utilized so interchangeably. Yeah. And one of the reasons that is helpful, just naming the reality that there are physiological ways that we feel anxiety, it's been helpful for me is just in recognizing it yeah. earlier on. You know, I think I used to just think of anxiety in terms of my mind. And I realized that, no, I actually I do feel it in my chest. Yeah, And recognizing that has helped me to recognize that I'm anxious earlier on in the process so that I can deal with it. So for those of you listening, that's just an important reality maybe to, to think about. Like, how do I feel anxiety in my body? And would that help you to recognize it earlier? And I will even offer, we as a group, uh, evangelical followers of Jesus tend to struggle with embodiment, to listen to our bodies and really pay attention because your body will know you're anxious often long before your brain tells you that you are. So you'll feel it in your chest. For me, it tends to be a spinning mind where I'm just obsessing on something and I don't recognize that as anxiety. It's really interesting because I think what I tell myself without saying it out loud is if I worry enough about this, surely I can fix it. It's adding more worry to the equation is somehow going to be the solution to the problem. And we but, logically know that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I would counsel everybody in the world. No, that's not a thing. You can't do that. Yet I do it all the time. So embodiment, listening to your body, something we'll talk about in another series where we talk about holistic care of self. But to your other question, Jeff, what does anxiety do? What's anxiety's playbook? Well, we talked about the fact that it distracts us from God's presence in our lives. But the other things that it tends to do and and think about this as like the playbook for the opposing football team. These are the plays it runs over and over again. Chronic anxiety puts on a costume and can act like one of the other types that we already talked about. Chronic anxiety can feel like it's acute anxiety, for example, like you are in a life or death situation. Case in point, I have a 10-year-old daughter and she wanted 
a particular outfit for school. And we were like, no, you don't need that. And she acted like it was life or death. If she didn't have this outfit for school, then surely the world would stop spinning on its axis and we would launch into the next ice age. And Dad, wait, Dad, you just don't get it. You <laughs> not understand. Come on. I, you're right, Jeff. I should remind myself that my 10-year-old clearly has figured it all out. Yeah, but she did. She acted like it. her life was going to be over if she didn't get this particular outfit. So that's one of chronic anxiety's main plays. Is it masquerades, if you will, as one of the other types of anxiety? Chronic anxiety is also, and we'll talk more about this, is the only type of anxiety that's contagious. You can give it to others or catch it from others all the time. Here's a perfect example of this, and I'm going to step on some toes. You're going to family gatherings. So when we're recording this, it's like towards the end of October. So Thanksgiving and Christmas are coming up and you're going to extended family gatherings. How many of us are going to feel the anxiety over political differences at those family gatherings, especially right before an election year? I one time was at a family gathering this is not I was like in high school and I remember this happening where all of the more politically conservative minded people sat in one room and all of the more more progressively politically minded people were sitting in another room. And if you had to cross in the other room to get like food or something or whatever, you could feel the anxiety entering the room. You could feel it. You could watch it happen. And it's Breads because oh, I don't want to step on any toes or, ooh, that person disagrees with me on this or this. And so anxiety spreads like wildfire. So that's one of the other plays that anxiety uses. It sows chaos through spreading like wildfire. So let's talk a little bit more in depth about that. I think we tend to be individualistic. And in particular, as we think about anxiety, I know like for most of my life, when I thought about anxiety, I didn't think about that relationally or how it might spread between people. I thought about it purely in individualistic terms. So how does anxiety spread? Yeah, so anxiety spreads. And it, it and I want to be clear, like, oh, the best way to explain this is probably another illustration. Again, our listeners will not be surprised that Ryan thinks in pictures and images. So I'll give you another one. Sure story. So my son, he's seven years old, and he really struggles to be ready to walk out the door every morning for school. But he knows that he's supposed to have his shoes on and have his bag packed and grab his lunch and grab his water bottle and put on a hoodie and all of the things. But when he gets up, there's just so many more interesting things to do than that every single morning. And so this happened this morning. This is confession time with Pastor Ryan. So this morning, I was trying to help get him without doing it for him. I was trying to help him get ready for the day. He started to get anxious because he couldn't remember all the steps to get out the door. And he he was clearly like he was frantic and you could even hear him going, what am I supposed to, what do I do next? I got my shoes. What do I go grab next? And you could see it happening. Meanwhile, I'm catching that anxiety. But for me, it looks like we're going to be late and then his sister's going to be late. And what's actually happening in my head is I'm going to look like the parent who doesn't have his junk together and can't get his kids to school on time. So I caught his anxiety about not knowing if he's supposed to grab his lunchbox or his backpack next. But for me, it turned into my own anxiety about how I'm perceived by the other parents at school. Yeah, that makes sense. So it doesn't, it's, it spreads, but it morphs too as right. it spreads. Right. Your anxiety wasn't, oh, how do I, <laughs> what steps do I need to take to get out the right. door? Or even how do I need to help my son? Which I'm sure you're thinking about that. But yours morphed into thinking about all the other things you've got right. going on and how this is going to affect you. Yeah. Now, I will say 
there are scenarios where it can morph into the same anxiety somebody else is experiencing. I've seen this happen at a place, let's say, like the BMV. So just everyone's favorite place to go. You go to the Bureau of Motor Vehicles in Indiana. For our Indiana listeners, it's BMV. Almost everywhere else, it's the DMV, in case you're confused, the Department of Motor Vehicles. I walked into the BMV when I first moved here thinking that it had to be better than where I was coming from because where I was coming from was pitiful and like the worst place to ever spend a day. And I walked in and there weren't very many people in there at all. So this is going to be no big deal. And I sat, I grabbed my number and I sat down and the person in front of me, like sitting next to me, but was in line in front of me was really anxious because they wanted to get out of there because they had other things they needed to do. And so did I. And so they started talking about how they had been there for already over an hour waiting. And I started to catch that and be like, oh, my goodness, if I'm going to be here for over an hour, I'm never going to get to where I need to be. And I started to catch that. One major way to think about this is you can both catch and give anxiety to other people. Chronic anxiety also loves to join every other type of anxiety's party. So if you have real trauma anxiety, grief anxiety, whatever, chronic anxiety will clamp on like a leech and create perceived anxiety on top of real anxiety that makes it feel like it is real. And then as we talked about, and possibly the most important thing to think through is anxiety numbs you to its presence and to the presence of God in your life. But specifically think about that for a second. Anxiety tends to numb you to its presence in your life. I recently was speaking with someone who would say, I'm not really an anxious person. And then after several weeks of talking through stuff would say, I've always been an anxious person. I just never recognized that's what was happening. That's helpful because it's like the the goal that is not necessarily that we would never experience anxiety, but that we recognize it. We're able to process it in a way so that we are aware of the presence of God. And I might add on to there too, like we are present with the people right around us. We can't love people if we're living up in our heads or we're just distracted from the reality of the people around us. And imagine that if like we could consistently live aware of the presence of God right there with us and aware of the people right there whom God calls us to love. That would seem world-changing, Jeff. Yeah, Yeah. it really would. Quickly, before we wrap up today, I want to talk about really briefly what is to come up in this series on anxiety. So we're going to have two additional episodes on this. In our next episode, that's right, episode number two, we will have the one, the only, my favorite Aussie, Steve Cuss, will be on the podcast. He was an author and speaker, a friend, I might dare say mentor of mine at this point, who I have spent a great deal of time with, that's going to come on and talk about the pathway towards managing anxiety specifically noticing anxiety, naming it, and then diffusing it. He's going to talk about the gap that forms a little bit between our most precious belief and our deepest held beliefs. And he'll talk a little bit through that. And then in the third episode, Jeff and I will be back where we're going to make that episode all about really practical tools, things we can put in your tool belt to help you manage anxiety when you see it coming, specifically chronic anxiety. We'll cover things like the big five. The big five being false core needs, things that we think we really need in order to be okay that we actually don't. We'll talk about our inner critic 
And that little voice in our head that tells us that we're no good, that we're not enough. And how can you kindly and compassionately try to understand what that critic is trying to say, but then how to wrangle it and get it under control. And then we'll also talk about maybe even touching on some other really practical things like a life-giving list, making sure that you both proactively and reactively are doing the things that cause you to feel the presence of God in a really profound way. And we might also talk about something as practical as a workload script, where you take a look at everything that you have to do. What's causing me anxiety? Can I hand it off to somebody else? Or does it even need to still be happening in the first place? Those and many more will come up in the practical tools episode, which will be episode three. So we really want to invite you guys to connect with us on social media. So at College Park Soul Care on on both Facebook and Instagram, really jump in and leave some comments or send us some direct messages about what you want to hear about these topics, specifically anxiety right now, and then invite others to join in. So our podcast has grown every year, but we'd like to see it take even another step forward. So the best thing you can do is share this podcast with your friends. They can find it on any podcast platform. And the other thing you can do, if you could take a minute and leave us a good review, You can leave whatever review you want, but we prefer the good ones. Leave us a good review, especially on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, where most of our listeners come from, because we would love to interact with them and then grow the podcast more and more. But that's all we have for this week's episode of the Soul Care Matters podcast. We'll be back soon with more. Thanks again for listening to the Soul Care Matters podcast. Join the conversation with us on Instagram by following us at College Park Soul Care or email us at info at collegeparksoulcare.com. We'll be back with more helpful conversations in the next episode of the Soul Care Matters podcast.